and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. My name's Josh. And this week, Josh is um, hosting the podcast episode. And this isn't our third take this week. So, <laughs> take it away, Josh. <sighs> this week, we are going to be talking about poltergeists. So, the whole concept of poltergeists is in of itself something of a contention. The definition of the German word translates into English as noisy spirit. However, there are many sources out there which argue that this phenomenon may not actually have anything to do with the spirit world at all, but in fact, it may actually be us, the living, who are causing the symptoms. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're using the microphone in different ways, this is why it took so long to do, because... Yeah, so we're trying different things and seeing what works best. And currently, I'm holding a microphone like a news presenter while reading from the laptop. (laughs) (laughs) And Emma's just sat on top of my shoulder while we're doing it, because we found out that if we use one microphone, it works best. And if we hold it right to our mouths, it works even better. So I'm now a news reporter. Josh is live from (laughs) Quahog. So, back to Poltergeist. You have to worry about the Okay, I know, I know what I'm sorry. I use the word symptoms loosely, as understandably, some would find it very hard to attribute these happenings to an invisible force within them. A poltergeist is known to range from the milder actions of knocking on walls and floors, right through to the more extreme end of the spectrum, which would include physically moving objects and having adverse effects on electrical appliances. This is not an exhaustive list of the capabilities of the poltergeist, but a mere taste as some cases can be far more severe than others. Before coming to the supposed explanations for what causes the occurrence of a poltergeist in more detail, I thought I would start by covering what we initially thought these beings were, along with some stories of encounters with poltergeists which should give a fuller picture as to how terrifying this concept truly is. Judging from the actual name of this phenomenon, that translates into noisy spirit as mentioned earlier. It is quite safe to assume that the origins of the poltergeists were for some time considered to be that of the paranormal. Unsettled entities from a world not of our own entering into our realm and attempting to get their message heard by the living through the movement of objects and interference of electrics. These messages happen more frequently than you may imagine. In fact, there is a long history of poltergeist activity that we are going to delve into today that may just get you rethinking that rhythmic tap you often hear around the house when you calm yourself down by saying it's the building settling. Don't say that because our house makes noises all the time. It does, yeah, but we also have two cats. Yeah, but they like the creaking. The cats don't make the creaking or like... They actually do, like, he does sound like he's making footsteps, like a human come up the stairs, doesn't he? You calling our cat a fat bastard? Yeah. <laughs> Rude. So, to start our first story, we begin in the Lamb Inn. The first encounter that we're going to cover illustrates just how far back into history the poltergeists have been plaguing the land of the living. The Lamb Inn, located in Bristol, UK, was built way back in 1651. It is not, however, the early years of the building that we are interested in, but moving forward into the mid-18th century. 1761 to be exact. At that time, the pub was overseen by landlord Richard Giles. Richard's growing family also lived in the establishment with him, 
means there was very little in the way of peace and quiet in between spending time with the kids and then dealing with the riffraff downstairs in the bar. However, the Giles family were on the brink of experiencing something much more disturbing than punters having a rousy pint. It started off mundane. Knocks were heard about the place and the sound of scraping on the floor, all occurrences that weren't too out of the ordinary and could be explained away quite rationally. But before long, the happenings became even more unexplainable and in fact quite physical. Furniture began to move, seemingly of its own accord. This time though, it was brazen and in full view of the family and their customers. The initial confusion felt by the family then grew into full-blown fear as whatever this thing was began to physically abuse the two daughters of the pub owner, aged 7 and 13. The abuse was described as pinches to the back of the arms, with the girls even experiencing what they felt was somebody biting down on their arms and neck. A local who frequented the Lamb Inn took it upon himself to record in writing what was happening to the poor Giles family. This body of work was published in print under the title Narrative of Some Extraordinary Things That Happened to Mr Giles' Children. One of the earliest encounters that the author of this body of work, Henry Durban, had was involving a wine glass. He was sat in the bar area in observation of the busy communal area when from the peripherals of his vision he noticed the twitching of a wine glass that was resting on a sidebar. Initially, the glass hovered just slightly above the surface of the bar, odd in of itself, but it began to escalate, lifting higher and higher, before tilting backwards as though some unseen force was drinking from the glassware. Potentially this thing was mocking the drinkers in the bar, but within seconds its true feelings were made clear. The glass rotated back mid-air to its upright position. A matter of five seconds passed, with Durban still looking on in a mixture of anticipation, confusion and horror. The glass suddenly lunged itself all of ten feet through the air in a violent manner towards the wall, smashing erratically but thankfully not injuring anybody. In fact, the investigation was so thorough that Durban's actually began to communicate with this thing through a series of coded knocks. It is claimed that the spirit identified itself as being summoned by a witch who had been hired to bring ill fate to the family of Richard Giles by a business rival looking to get an edge on the competition. Following this revelation, there was no holding back from the unseen force. Things only got worse. Multiple attempts from various holy men to hinder the physical abuse and damage were rendered futile and the attacks on the Giles' children only escalated. During the early months of 1762, the two girls were being tossed like ragdolls, thrown from one side of the room to another, as though they were a small stone. The might of multiple grown men couldn't pin the young girls down in an attempt to save the girls from being bashed into the walls and floor. It was soon figured out, however, that the violence on the girls would become more subdued and even at times cease altogether when they were separated. This led to the two girls living in separate houses with family friends for the time being just to ensure their safety and security. This unfortunately wasn't the brunt of the story. The final straw for the Giles family was one that would tear their world apart. In the May of 1762, Richard Giles fell gravely ill, seemingly out of the blue. It is claimed there were no telltale signs 
of the illness and that Richard was in generally good health, but one thing lingered on his mind. A few days previously, Richard had been driving his horse, riding his horse, not driving it, <laughs> on a familiar... <laughs> on a familiar rural route, when he came across an old lady standing by the side of the road. He didn't know this lady and nor did he speak to her, yet a suspicious glare was placed upon Richard the whole time that he was in the proximity of her. To Richard, this was a minor occurrence, but it was definite confirmation that he had been cursed to death by the same witch who had plagued his family with an abusive spirit. Of course, in times of such precarious medical practices, Richard's fate was essentially set in stone and he passed away shortly after falling ill. The conclusion to the story finds Mrs. Giles dealing with grief and fear that the witch or spirit will keep coming for her family. Visiting a white witch herself, she attempted to fight fire with fire. And as quickly as the tapping and glass throwing began, it stopped. The white witch successfully lifted the curse that was placed upon the Giles family. Do you know when he like met her in the um, in the road? That could have just been a lady who had like a resting bitch face. Like, cause I think if someone caught me in the road, if I didn't have my glasses on, one I wouldn't be able to see them, and two, my face just does that thing anyway. So, how does he know that it was the witch? If you lived in the seventeen hundreds, you would definitely have been called a witch and probably burnt at the stake. You'd probably be the one lighting the match. <laughs> I'd be the one with the 1700s petrol. <laughs> You're rude. And the poor kids, though, like, they couldn't grow up together. Well, they could after the white witch lifted the curse. So, obviously you get, like, business rivals. Like, I don't like everyone that I work with, but I would never put a curse on them or the family. And also, why did they put it on the family and not just him? Oh, you don't, you don't put curses on, on them, no? No, because I'm a white witch. An interesting note on that story is that the wife of Richard Giles, her mother, bought the pub, the Lamb Inn, following the death of Richard for a cheap price, apparently, while it was still considered haunted. She put the curse on it then, she hated her son-in-law. My mum would probably put a curse on you. Probably already has. <laughs> is that why you're with me? <laughs> it makes so much sense now. <laughs> Shall we move on to the next story? Yeah, move swiftly on. Swiftly moving on to the Sochi poltergeist. This story follows the move of a mother and teenage daughter from Ireland over to Sochi, Scotland in the 1960s. Quite recent then. In the grand scheme of things, yeah. (laughs) The pair were headed to live with the mother's brother and wife. After not seeing each other for quite some time, the initial few days of the li- new living arrangement facilitated a much-needed catch-up and allowed the two households to get used to each other's idiosyncrasies in a bid to create a harmonised household. Of course, blissful background stories wouldn't get be getting mentioned on this episode if there wasn't some turn of events. Which is exactly what happened merely a few weeks after Virginia, the daughter, and her mother arrived in Scotland. Eric. <laughs> Why do you always go to Eric? <laughs> Who are you to say it wasn't? Avika. Erich. Emma. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Carrying on with the story. 
Initially, the disruptions were minor. What would sound like distant knockings that had the occupants questioning if they were even coming from somewhere within the house. But they intensified. The noises were most definitely being made within the property. But with all those living under the roof accounted for, nobody could explain what was making such clear rapping on the walls. Further escalation occurred when inanimate objects began to travel of their own accord, edging across work surfaces without anybody around them. Eventually, the doors in the property started to randomly open, exposing the threshold into another room for a short period of time before slamming shut with such force that the walls felt as though they were shaking. The unexplainable actions were becoming ever more frequent and ever more violent. A sturdy old wooden chest stood proud at the top of the landing, filled with all the household's linen. The whole thing must have weighed in excess of 40 kilograms. Despite this, it was claimed by the whole family that the chest hoisted into the air around two feet and remained there for around 30 seconds while they looked on in bewilderment as to what was happening. Lifting that chest was a two-person job at the best of times due to its size and weight, but here it was, floating above the carpet with no visible force on either side of it. But just as quickly as it had been raised up, the chest came crashing down with so much force that the light fittings in the room below began to sway from the trauma of the impact. Unsurprisingly, the family became convinced that the house they called home was haunted. And with that conclusion, their first port of call was a vicar named Reverend Lund, who came to the property as soon as possible to assess the situation. Walking around the house, Reverend Lund struggled to find any true telltale signs that whatever was causing these disturbances was linked to the bricks and mortar. As a result, prayers were shared with those present in a hope to protect them from any potential evil spirits that were lurking in the walls, and although the Reverend couldn't come up with a satisfactory conclusion, he pardoned himself from the building as he could offer no further assistance. However, it was at this point in the line of events that the family began to surmise that whatever this thing was, wasn't in fact attached to the house, but attached to a person within the house, namely Virginia. This was the result of events that happened when Virginia began to attend her local school to finish off her final years of education as she was nearly 15 years old. During one of her classes, Virginia's teacher recounted that she looked up from her desk at the front of the classroom to witness Virginia supposedly wrestling with her desk lid. The young girl had both elbows on the lid and looked to be forcing it down with all her might, yet it wouldn't budge, not even slightly. But it was noticeable to the rest of the family that while Virginia was gone, the strange events seemed to completely cease within the house. This became even more so apparent when in an attempt to resolve matters, Virginia and her mother moved to a nearby town to see if a change of scenery would do the trick. No joy. The same tedious wrapping and abnormal furniture movements seemed to follow Virginia wherever she went. There was seemingly no respite from whatever this unseen delinquent was. The tale of Virginia and her family's struggles climatizes in what may on the face of it seem like defeat, but in fact may be a victory for the family. Moving away from the area of Sochi permanently, the exact location is not known, but what is known is that Virginia is said to have become more settled and happier in her new home. 
something that coincided with the unseen offender committing random acts of violence and disturbances on the family no more. So, do you think because she moved and she didn't go to that school anymore that that maybe made her settle? Like, maybe she didn't get on with the school? Like, obviously, if you go to a new environment, you're not going to settle in straight away anyway. Yeah, potentially. But that may be something we'll cover later on. Okay. So, just because you've heard this like, two times previously <laughs> doesn't mean you have to ruin it for everyone else. I never. I've paused. Okay. <laughs> The last story I have is called Danny. Our next tale is a case that happened a little closer in time to the present day. We find ourselves in the late 1990s in the state of Georgia, USA. Within this incident, the Cobb family were harassed by an unseen force following the purchase of an antique bed for their youngest member of the family, Jason, age 14. Now, the activity didn't happen straight away, but it didn't take long to kick in. Around three nights after the bed was put in Jason's room, he emerged the following morning complaining of broken sleep. Jason claimed that it felt like somebody was sat on his bed with their elbow dug into the pillow, as though they were propping up their head. Jason swore that he could feel the weight of somebody on the bed with him, but of course, once he got the courage to swing around and turn his lamp on, nobody was there. If you just heard a load of rapping in the background, that was just Loki running around upstairs. <laughs> it's currently twenty to eight, so it's it's, it's probably yeah, it's probably about time for him to just go and burn off all that energy. <laughs> You're gonna sleep all day. Cat like. <laughs> the following evening, Jason was making his way into his bedroom to go and get himself ready for bed. When he noticed a picture that he kept on his bedside table was now facing downwards. The picture was of Jason's deceased grandparents, and although he was confused as to how it had happened, he rationalised that the picture must have been knocked over when he hurried out of the room. When the picture was righted back into position, Jason headed to bed. However, when he got up the next morning, fighting off the initial haze and sleep in his eyes, he noticed that the picture had once again been placed face down. Small but somewhat explainable, these occurrences soon veered into the realms of confusion when upon entering his room a few days later, Jason found two of his old stuffed toys on the bed in the dead centre of it. These toys had been stored away safely at the back of Jason's wardrobe as he became too old to be seen with them but they provided too much sentimental value to just throw out. This was all enough for Jason to raise the concern with his father Al who had bought the bed for his son. Al listened to Jason's complaints, but approached the situation with somewhat of a light-hearted, joking manner. Al entered Jason's bedroom, asking out loud into the vacant space, Do we have a Casper in the house? Oh, Casper. <laughs> no response was received, but instead of calling it a day, Al decided to prove to his family that the apparent spectre was nothing more than a figment of young Jason's mind. So Al left an ultimatum. He claimed, If there are any ghosts in this room, tell me who you are on this paper. And following this, the family left the room. Returning some 15 minutes later, Al was cautiously edging the door open, darting his eyes directly to the piece of paper that he had left on the bed. It was no longer blank. In fact, the crayon that had been left with it had been visibly used 
and the following words etched into the paper. Danny, seven. Following the same method of leaving paper, Al claims to have contacted Danny numerous times to find out who they were and what they wanted. It soon transpired that Danny's family were the original owners of the bed, with his mother actually passing away in it back in 1899. More ominously, Danny demanded that nobody sleep in the bed as it belongs to his family. After all of the messages had been received, Al relayed his findings to the rest of his family and it was decided that Jason would move out of the room so the family could have time to think what their next step was. However, that involved re-entering the room to get Jason's belongings, and in doing so, as part of his jokerish nature, Jason lay on the bed and pretended to have a nap. Danny didn't like this. Immediately, a terracotta sculpture plummeted through the doorway from a sideboard which it had been sitting on in the hall, aimed right towards Jason, who luckily flinched out of the way to avoid any injury. From this point, the family began to experience unexplained happenings all around the house. Drawers would open of their own accord, paintings knocked off the wall and furniture tipped over. Jason began to talk of other spirits, that of an older man who came to reclaim the body of his daughter who was supposedly buried under the house, or the alleged Jill, who left a handwritten note for the family to attend a party she was hosting in their living room. Now, this tale does have an explanation of sorts, but it ties into one of the theories that I will tell you shortly, so I don't want to give it away just yet. Why are they having a party in their living room anyway? If someone threw a party in my living room, I'd flip. Like, I don't even want a party in my living room. Um, and the ghost, Danny, he might have just wanted to play with the teddies or he might have just been helping him out and decorating it. Or maybe his mum's ghost was there too and he was just giving his mum some comfort. So what we've just learned from that brief interlude with Emma is she's very unsociable and ghosts, poltergeists in particular, well, Danny in particular, is misunderstood. Yep. Okay, nail on the head. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about the Danny story? Um... Well, I wouldn't want someone to sleep in my bed either, even if I had died in it, and it wasn't mine anymore. I wouldn't want to sleep anyone to sleep in my bed, full stop, even if I'm alive. I don't even want you to sleep in my bed. You said we wouldn't bring this into the podcast <laughs> now. Don't cry, it's okay. <laughs> that was a joke, I think. I hope. Mm. We on. hope. <laughs> So let's talk about some theories. Yeah. Two theories to be exact. Oh. So theory number one is they are real spirits. Now this theory is something that I'm putting in simply in the interest of hearing both sides of the story. A level argument. As this is the case, I don't really have any research sources for this point. Just my own thoughts. And to be fair, there, there wasn't really anything out there to back this up. Yeah. Which, which may say a lot, but... We'll hear it else anyway. Real spirits are real. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, how about we just take these stories at face value and believe that the happenings that the people you've heard from in these stories above are real and were the result of some disgruntled spirit. This would all let us carry on our lives in absolute fear that there are spirits out there that can reach over into our realm and physically harm us. And while it is a lovely, calming thought, 
There is, of course, an alternative to this theory that there is quite a lot of support for. Would you like to hear the well-supported theory? Yeah, go on. So, this is RSPK, Recurrent Spontaneous Psychokinesis. This has happened every time I've tried to say this. (laughs) We've never tried to say it before. Psychokinesis? Psychokinesis? Psychokinesis. RSPK. RSPK. This theory has the works of William Rowe to thank for his existence. His work began in the 1950s and 60s and led to more of an understanding on what this phenomenon of supposed spirits were and what causes them to be active. And simply put, the theory contends that there is in fact no spirit to speak of. In fact, Roll states that the strange happenings that people suffer from tapping on the wall through to furniture being thrown is all of their own doing. They are the cause of the problem, physically moving things without flexing a muscle. It is said that part of the subconscious brain can be triggered by highly stressful or emotional events in the person's life. This will in turn manifest as a response to the traumatic event in an ability that the sufferer is unaware that they have. It is this unawareness that leads the logical mind to forthright blame a spirit or ghost for the events that have occurred. Ironically, the events that occur as a result of RSPK can often lead the victim to feeling even more stressed, which then escalates the output of the subconscious mind and results in more dramatic actions, be that with knockings getting louder, violent attacks getting more vicious, or objects getting thrown further. Something you may have noticed during the stories I mentioned earlier is that they all contained a younger person, two of them being female. This is important as it is said that young adults are more susceptible to exhibiting these behaviours as they are going through a high level of natural trauma in their lives and as such they are more prone to feeling the stressful outcomes that result from changes in their lives and then subconsciously transforming those feelings into supposed paranormal activities. Now I mentioned in the last story that there is an apparent explanation for the events that plague Jason and his antique bed. Well, apparently according to parapsychologist Andrew Nichols, the events would have happened anyway, even if Jason was never given that bed. Supposedly, when the antique bed was given to Jason, it was positioned in next to a wall that Jason never used to sleep next to. Nichols claims that this wall contained electromagnetic energy that transferred to Jason as he spent copious amounts of time next to it, sleeping. In turn, this then triggered an underlying psychic ability within Jason which was the cause of the events that occurred. While that may explain some things that happened to Jason and his family, going back over the details of the story, I would love to know what information is stored in his subconscious mind to come up with such actions and characters. That is, of course, believing that this theory is in fact the truth. Also, the story with Virginia. It's interesting to note that when she calmed down, the activity stopped. So, I wonder if that is further proof that RSPK is the real cause of poltergeists? Um, so, I do think that that theory that you've said probably does have some merit, but I 
also think that Poltergeist are real. Um, I think, like we said, it, it's young girls mainly. Um, and what was his name? Jason. He was also younger. Was he fourteen? Fif- was he fourteen or fifteen? Yeah. Um, and Poltergeist seem to hover around that kind of age. So I think it's because they're vulnerable, and at that age, like your height, like your emotions are heightened. So I think maybe, although that fairy does have like grounds for it to be real, I think that it's like a mixture of the two. Like, um, so the poltergeist are picking on the children because they're weak-minded, not weak-minded, but like they're in a low space, and then they also have these abilities. So it's like the they're like thinking them into existence, kind of, or like they're like inviting them in, like they're like a portal, kind of, like because if it was an adult, they may be able to um, cope with their stress more than a child would. So, to an extent, you think that there may actually be spirits involved. It's not a psychic ability that these people have in the back of their mind. It may be that they're sort of breaking down a barrier because of their vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you've got, like, like, if you play a Ouija board, if you play that in, like, a weak mindset, the more likely, like, if you're feeling low, the more likely to pick up on that and, like, it'll be easier to get in, like, because you're not going to fight it off. You're, you're already fighting demons of your own, so you're not going to want to fight other demons, in a sense. Yeah, so it sort of breaks down the veil or weakens it weakens, to a, yeah. to allow spirits, maybe malevolent spirits, yeah. to pass on through and they may be the cause yeah so you're still not 100 percent convinced that it is all a psycho psychological like psychic power no i don't think it's all a psychological power because where did um where did they get all the stories from like where did he come up with danny and um with the lady that was throwing a party and why would he throw a warrior at his own head but then again i feel like he prompted it and he angered the spirits because he he lay in the bed and pretended to nap, like so. He's obviously annoyed Danny because he went against his wishes anyway. Yeah, I think there may be something in it that, because it's the subconscious mind, and you can't really delve into that unless maybe you get hypnotized or something. Yeah, maybe he's read this in a book, or he's seen it in a film, or watched it on a TV program. And these characters that he's made up, if they are characters and not spirits, not saying he, it, it's all false. Yeah. But if they are just characters, maybe that's where he's got them from. There are some illnesses where you make up characters, like um, we have like different personalities as well, and I don't know where they get them from. They like sometimes just appear, don't they? Like no one knows where they make them from. It might be that kind of thing. But who wrote the name when the whole family left the room? When Danny Seven and the crayon looked like it had been used. Yeah, who did write the name? That is very difficult i'd imagine even for a psychic to have picked up a crayon with their mind and wrote it on a piece of paper yeah yeah definitely especially like, like the crayon looked visibly used like surely if you were doing that with your mind it would hurt like it would hurt you in a sense like you know like i think it's matilda when she starts doing stuff she gets a bit tired after she's done it matilda definitely had a poltergeist when she grew up didn't she yeah their family were horrible to her she probably invented the poltergeist Oh yeah, Matilda set back in the 1700s, like the first story. <laughs> she might have. 
don't think so. But I think it probably is real to a sense, that story, but I also think the poltergeist are real. But I think poltergeists are more like a man-made spirit. Like, I don't think that they are bad. I think that we make them bad, like, because of our an- energy and, like, they want a way to, like, come over to the other side. Maybe they, they have unfinished business or they need to see a family member, see how they're getting on. And then um, our energy, like, the teenagers, teenage angst and anger, that, like, f- feeds into the, the poltergeist or the ghost and then they turn into a poltergeist because they're angry because they're feeling the anger that the teenagers have. So I think, like, the teenagers and the poltergeist are kind of connected. I don't think you could have one without the other, really. Okay, well, what about ghosts in of themselves? So, ghosts being scary, we sh- based on this theory, we shouldn't be scared, of, based on poltergeists, like the general gist of poltergeists, we shouldn't be scared of ghosts because they can't do anything, essentially. They just appear, and we can only see them or hear them. So, if you listen to this theory, these happenings, these poltergeist encounters, are of people in distress who have a psychic ability that's underlying, and it just manifests. So, if you see a ghost, in theory, you shouldn't be scared of it because it can't do anything. Yeah, in a sense, but ghosts can do stuff. We have stuff in this house that goes missing, and then... Um. Also, it's the unknown, isn't it? Like we're going if we see just a random person in our living room, if we're gonna be a bit like, oh shit, because unless you go to Jill's party, unless she goes to Jill's party, she's not having a party in my living room. Fucking bitch. We we drink cups of tea and listen to Taylor Swift in this house. And eat biscuits. And eat biscuits at nine o'clock. Sometimes we watch Narcos. Lately, anyway. Yeah, that's what we're watching lately. In case anyone was wondering. We watch The Office when we eat our dinner. <laughs> Because it's only half an hour an episode, and that way we don't sit there for ages. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on to ghosts. I think the ghosts can do things. I just don't think that they want to. I don't think they want to hurt you. I think that ghosts are nice. So would you say that the existence of ghosts in general and their ability to do shit is a sort of market against RSPK? Yeah. I, I, I don't ever want to go against a fairy where ghosts aren't real because even though like i'm there's part of me that thinks they're not real and i listen to stories i'm like fuck off there's obviously a reason for that there's obviously like, there's mental illness or the lights flickered because of a wire trip or something i always want there to be ghosts so even if it even if i've seen the string and someone's moved the object over i'm still gonna say oh no it was a ghost not there was a breeze not there was a string not the um we've like they've read like the um the back of the book or something when they hand you it i don't know i'm trying to think of tricks <laughs> but i always think that it is going to be a ghost and i would or i would always say that like people's abilities or mental health do play a part of it but i would never say that there were ghosts or poltergeists it definitely are ghosts but you do realize that people can just be bastards and like tell false stories and lie yeah, but if they tell it in like an interesting way, I'm gonna like it. It's called fiction. It's it's a really big like genre of book. We have a lot of books right behind you that are fiction. A lot of Stephen King there. Harry Potter. 
We don't say the author, we don't like it. That's not fiction, no, that's real. Is it? Yeah. I never got my letter. Uh, I'd say posters don't come on Sundays with stairs, they're so unlucky. <laughs> I'm not 10 or 11 either. Oh, that's also true. <laughs> You're at least 40. 28, 27. So how, what do you think about ghosts then? I think my thoughts are very clear. I've been the one instigating the questions. I've, I've been throwing fuel into the fire. I think that pretty much exactly the same as you, to be fair. I think that there might be an element of this sort of psychokinesis. That's oh, I, I don't know what it is. Oh, that's how I'm going to say it, with like a screwed up face every time because I don't know how to say it. I think well, you're just doing a really big pause. <laughs> <laughs> that was a chair. Um, I think there is an element of that may come into play somewhere along the line. Maybe not in every case, but I think it does come into play. I, th- I think it is real because I think psychics do get like the ability, don't they? Like psychics that you see, they like they can take themselves onto another plane, or even if you meditate, you can become aware of a different self. So I think that people do have abilities, and I think more people are more prone to ghosts coming to them because they know that. Um, or poltergeist coming to them because they know that they'll be able to pick them up but I don't think that it's just that I think ghosts ghost, ghost and poltergeist are real but people with that ability pick them up more or people who invite them in like if, you, if you're welcome to the supernatural then it's going to come on to you more yeah so just to finish off and um Sticking with the RSPK theory. <laughs> Alleged theory. <laughs> um, Come on, Dad. Do you think that as reasonable, sensible, rational human beings, there's so much support for RSPK simply because that's something we can explain to an extent? That's something we can understand. Whereas if we say, nope, it's ghost, you're all fucked. We can't explain that away, and yeah. we can't fix it. Yeah, well, we always want, like, something to blame or an explanation, don't we? Like, even with COVID, it was like, oh, it's the fucking bats. Now, um, like, you always want to explain it. And, 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 like, after a film or, like, when something happens in this house, we're like, oh, no, it was just the wind, it was just this, because we want to feel better about it. We want there to be proof. Mm. We, you never believe anything without proof, really, do you? So, and you can't really prove ghosts. And that's why bitches love RSPK. Yeah. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is a good place for us to leave this episode on. Emma is holding her hands up like she wants me to pass her the news reporter microphone. So I just want to give a shout out to one of our lovely followers or listeners. Friend. <laughs> friend. Podcast friends. Um, her lovely cat Morbius has just passed away and I just wanted to give her love and let her know that we're thinking of her and we hope that she is feeling okay and we're sending lots of love, hugs and Fofi. Loki and Fifi are sending loves too. So if you liked what you heard on this episode, you can find us on Instagram at Across the Cemetery, TikTok, AX the Cemetery, Twitter, AX the Cemetery, or you can email us at acrossthecemetery at gmail.com. We would love it if you had any horror stories that you want to share or if you have any 
poltergeist stories or what is your opinion on poltergeist or ghosts or RSPK? Is it RSPK? Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. If you'd like to, and it'd be very, very nice if you left us a review wherever you listen to us because it would very much help us in reaching new listeners and just all around pissing off the Cheryls of the world with our bad audio quality. Yeah, I think that that's that's enough. Yep. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.